0: great honor to be here tonight. Um, I've never been up here before. I'm a little nervous, but I'm with family, so I'll get over it pretty quick. I want to thank uh, pastors, Matt and Eric, and the elders for letting me be up here, man. It's a great honor. I really uh, appreciate the uh, chance to get to share with you tonight, and I thank you for all being here. Uh, Let's uh, go ahead and pray before we start, shall we? Father in heaven, we give you all the praise and all the glory Jesus. We just thank you that you have given us uh, your precious word. We thank you that you've given us your truth, Lord, and that we can share, we can learn, we can be edified, we can leave here stronger than when we came, Lord. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with the ability to learn, the ability to uh, follow, and for an example in Jesus like none other. Thank you, Father, for this time, Lord. May this word... uh, Be all glory to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be discussing a pretty light topic tonight. And it's called, What is the Cost? And as everybody in here knows, whenever you tackle something, whether it's a project or any decision, anything in life, whatever it is, it's got a cost. And you may not realize up front that you're going to be paying up, but ultimately everything has a cost. So your buddy comes up to you and says, hey man, I got these two season tickets to the Texans. And you get all excited. and You get all excited, but before you know it, man, you're paying 20 bucks for parking, it's costing you half a tank of gas to get there and back, you got food concessions, you got the guy waving the big hand on the way in, and of course, daddy, daddy, I want one of those. Over a season, man, you're gonna spend about $1,000 at the games. Everything has a cost. Young men, when you go to marry, when the Lord has blessed you with a wife, do you calculate the cost of having a wife? And I'm not talking about, Lord, she's driving me to the poorhouse. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying what it takes to lead a family. And there's so much involved in that. There's not even enough time for the next month to talk about that. But everything costs. There's a cost for everything. Every cost also involves sacrifice. Sacrifice is the ultimate end to the cost. So you got Pharisees in the temple, and they're standing there waving their hands around, and they're glorifying God. And they give their 10% and they fast twice a week. But there's really no sacrifice involved there because they got everything. They got the status. They got the money. got the prestige. And everybody bows down to them. And you got the old lady in the back. And she's throwing in her two little coins and that's the last thing she has. And so you're thinking, what happens? You know, where do we go from here? There is nothing else that she can offer. Well, it's an act of faith. It's all about faith. She knows that God's going to bless her with something else because the last time she came, she gave everything she had too. So it's all about faith because Lord always is going to provide what you need. No wonder I'm having trouble seeing my notes. Excuse me. So you have guys in this group here that have quit their jobs, 100% faith, and are just trusting that the Lord's going to lead them exactly where they need to go. What is the cost of that? Well, the cost of that is pretty great, because you have left what you had, a nice cushy job, a good salary, all these benefits, possibly. I mean, who knows, a, a company car? And you've decided, uh, based on following the Lord, that you need to go, and now you've got nothing. So all you really have to lean on is God. And it's a, it's a total faith action move. You have uh, guys in here that have left everything and come from faraway places to join this church. What is the cost of that? So you have everything that you need around you. You're very comfortable. Everything is nice. It's a normal kind of life. And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord says, you're going to Houston So, by faith, you leave, you take off, and you go to Houston. And amazingly, the Lord is going to provide you with what you need because it's an act of faith. There's always a cost involved. There's always a cost involved. Genesis 12, when the Lord tells Abram to leave, go out into Canaan, he says, Leave your household, leave your home, leave your family, leave everything, and just go to a place that I will show you. He doesn't know where he's going. But it's total faith that he's acting on because he has not a clue what is in the future. This is the way faith works. The rich young ruler, he knew exactly what the cost was. He knew what it would cost him to follow Jesus, and he just couldn't do it. And it's, it's very sad because he hung on to his idols. And um, I don't know what the end, what the end result of that story is. I'm hoping that things changed, but it cost him too much to follow Jesus, so he, he took off and ran. Could we please put up the uh, Mark 8 scripture? So Mark 8, 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So Jesus has finally brought it home to the, uh, to the disciples. Up to this point, we have seen miracles without end. We have seen healings. We've seen incredible things that Jesus is doing. It's been kind of a, a, uh, a fun ride for the disciples. Yes, he has butted heads with the Pharisees. He has sent out the uh, the disciples to do their own work, to test them. But really, up to this point, they don't really understand what the cost to serve Jesus is. And so when he reads this to them, I think at this point they don't really know yet because they haven't really been tested. But there is a cost. There's a, there's a great story out there, a short story. A lot of you probably know it. It's called A Message to Garcia. During the Spanish-American War in Cuba, uh, General McKinley needed to communicate with one of the insurgent leaders in Cuba, but nobody would go. So somebody said, I know a guy. His name is Private Rowan, just a regular guy, but he'll, he'll do this job for you. So McKinley, the president, calls in this private and says, I need you to do a job for me. And, uh, and he just took the paper and said, it's done. And he took off. And he knew the cost. He knew what, what he'd have to do. He'd have to go into guerrilla warfare and, and, and walk through the across. The, what, what happens is that he goes into Cuba and ends up on the other side of the island. But he got the message delivered. But He understood the cost. He also understood that his country needed him in this, in this particular service. That was a, a serious cost because he went through a war zone. And he made it through. So last month, my wife and I had an excellent opportunity to go on vacation for the first time in a long time. And we went to Turkey and we went to Israel. And in Istanbul, a great city. I mean, it's a city that has everything, including 20 million people. So we're in Istanbul, and we decided that we want to take this cruise up the Bosphorus River. It's a pretty long cruise, but it's not that bad. It's like a day cruise. And we were just adamant about doing this. But everywhere we went, there was all this resistance. Nah, you don't need to do that. It's too far. You don't need to go there. It's like a whole day. I mean, what are you going to do, waste a whole day? Like, we want to go. So after all this stuff, the final person says, you can get your tickets at the terminal. So the following morning, this cruise is supposed to leave at 1030 and come back at 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, well, if, if you know me, I don't sleep through alarms. I don't get up late. I'm always up pre-dawn. We sleep through everything. We sleep through the, the alarms. We sleep through breakfast. I mean, the whole, everything. We get up at a quarter to 10, and this boat leaves at 10.30. So we're just scrambling. It's a good thing a hotel's close to the water. So we're scrambling. We're rushing. We're getting down there. We make it happen, we get on that boat, man, it takes off. It's a great ride up this river, seven stops, it's like a ferry, you know, people come on, people get off. It's, it was really exciting, a lot of great sights along the way. My wife got to evangelize a lady from, uh, from Germany who's actually Turkish, got to pray with her. It was just a, just a great ride. So we get to the end of this ride and it's everybody off. Everybody off, they turn around, they clean, the, they clean the, ship, the boat and everything else. So we get off this uh, boat, and we don't really know exactly where we're going, but we know where we want to end up. And so we, we hook up with this, uh, with this uh, tour group. And we're looking at them, and they say, well, the tourist, I'm certain, knows where he goes, and probably is going to hit the spot that we need to be, so let's just follow them along. And we do, and we end up climbing this mountain. And I never realized just how badly out of shape I was until we started climbing. And I I feel for the guys that went to Peru, but I'm sure I don't understand your plight. This this was just one little climb. So I'm dragging Natalie behind me now. And so we get to the top of the mountain, and this was a uh, mountain where Herod had constructed a uh, fortress and a lookout. There was a lookout to see what was coming in from the sea. And it was really nice. It was pretty good. We get to the top of the mountain. On the top of the mountain, there's another hill. So we climb up this hill. So we get to the top of the hill, and we turn around, and that's what we see. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Black, that's the black Sea. So on the right-hand side, you have Asia, where Paul would have made one of his journeys. And then on the left-hand side, you got Europe. If you look a little bit beyond, maybe, uh, maybe from the tip of that left side, uh, sort of northwesterly, forty miles up the road there, you would you would run into Bulgaria, which is one of this the, the southeasternmost point of Eastern Europe. So we're looking over this beautiful, vast Black Sea, and the reason that we wanted to get there is because if you recall, Nick got a prophecy that he would work and Sam would work somewhere off the Black Sea. Okay, so we got up there, and we looked over it, and we were so far away from home, and we were looking over the sea, and, and, and we started thinking about all kinds of crazy stuff. It was kind of a bittersweet moment that ended up drenched in molasses. So we're looking, and we're going, you know, this is going to cost us. <laughs> we're going to lose our two children here. You know, they're going to go away and it's going to cost us and we're going to be sad, but it's great. And, but you know, the more time passed and we started to pray and we ended up rejoicing because we are, we couldn't be happier knowing that our children are in the center of God's will. Okay, so, so when God says go, you go. They understand the cost. They know exactly what it's going to take and they know that the Lord is sending them out to this place. And we are really proud of that. And there's just nothing that uh, really, as a parent, regarding your children, you couldn't be happy about anything else, so knowing, knowing that they're in the center of God's will, that they've been called at such an early age. So that's the explanation of that picture. And I'm proud of you guys. And the climb down was just as hard as the climb up. <laughs> so that was a point of uh, point in time where things really got real for us. You know, we, we were looking and it was just kind of a, wow, you know, we're here and, 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 and it's far away and this, this is it for our kids. Uh, we were very happy about it. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention, uh, if I may, at the men's retreat, speaking of Young families and young men, um, listening to Judah, and and the way God has spoken to him about his his future, and the plans that He has for him. It's uh, it's just so beautiful to watch. He's on the he's not 17 yet. He's barely uh, he's not 17 yet, and he is already advancing and listening to the Lord in such a manner that he's actually hearing Him, and that that is just uh, just such a beautiful thing. Um, in John six, starting in fifty three, Jesus begins to explain, "Eat my flesh and drink my blood." Very difficult teaching, a pretty new concept. If you didn't understand prophecy, and if it's a pretty new thing, you know these these folks at this time were pretty used to being. You know, arm's length away from the religious group. You know, you didn't really get close to Pharisees that much. You know, you, you, you might talk to a rabbi once in a while, but it was pretty at a distance. And so here's the Son of God himself in their face telling them, you know, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's a pretty hard, hard thing to learn. And so most of the people just take off. It's a difficult lesson. I mean, that, that, that's too costly. They just take off. The 12 remain... And they're, and, and they're looking at Jesus, and he says, well, are you guys going to leave too? And, and the answer that, that he gets is the answer that we're living in. And Lord, to whom shall we go? We don't have anywhere else to go. We know and we can understand the cost of following Jesus to a point, or maybe fully. But really, the cost of leaving Jesus is, uh, is the worst. Nothing could be more costly than that. The cost of costly things about serving Jesus, you know, if you're out there in the world. I know, um, I know a lot of people that in their ministry, and it's not like that here, in their ministry, um, they have very little contact with the world. They're in church all the time. They're always in meetings. They're hanging out with the, the ministry staff, and they're, you know, they do very little outside. You're not really feeling the cost when you follow Jesus. And when the Spirit tells you, go talk to that guy, and he hates you back. You know, it's, it's a cost, and it, and it hurts, but that's what happens. They hate you if you serve Jesus. Your family and your friends will hate you when you serve Jesus. This is not an exception. This is just one of those things that happens. You speak to somebody, and you speak the truth, and the Spirit is flowing through you, and you're telling them exactly what it is that God is expecting from them, the conviction does one of two things. They either fall in love with you and Jesus, or they want to destroy you. You either smell beautiful to them, or you absolutely stink. And so, if they don't want to come clean with God, they are truly going to hate you. The friends that I used to hang with, Before I met Jesus, I think there's one that I talk to once in a while. Uh, The rest of them, they don't really like me that much, I don't think. I think they'll tolerate me, but I think they like the world more than anything else. And Jesus kind of gets in their way. Denominational hatred. Oh, this is one of my favorite ones. My wife and I have some experience with this. A little bit. We've been through a couple of church splits and we've been hated a lot by our own people. But it's all good because in the end, I think they're kind of coming to understand what we're doing, but they're not wanting to get involved. Uh, we had all kinds of uh, interesting sessions with people all the way up to archbishops and on to the what would be the, the patriarch of the religion. Um, with no help, but you know uh, the, the the thing about it is, they're religious. Even though they, they're not going to agree with you, um, and if they're doing stuff like transubstantiation, it's kind of a ridiculous concept. But they're doing something, and the heathen are not. And and so, this is the way that I try to make myself feel better when I think about my people. (laughs) The Jesus of prosperity, success, and love without judgment is the Jesus that I don't know. The Jesus of universal salvation is the Jesus that I do not know. The Jesus of the sit back and let me do it for you. I don't know that guy. In fact, those Jesus types do not exist. So when you speak the truth and threaten someone's comfort zone, they will hate you because to follow Jesus, there is an absolute cost. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, if, you, if you've been to Israel, awesome. If you, if you haven't been, don't think about going. Don't contemplate it. Just find a way to get there because it is absolutely incredible. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, they say that those trees are as old as when Jesus was there. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. They won't let you in there, which uh, I think is okay. It's really, really uh, well-preserved. So we're in the garden. Excuse me. Standing at this uh, fence right here, this picture was taken from just outside a little fence. And uh, arriving at this place, it was pretty chilling. It was uh, a feeling that uh, that really is hard to duplicate. I've never felt that way before. Uh, you could feel a struggle that, that you could sort of um, almost, in, this, in a slight way, identify with it. Um, pretty amazing, amazing sight. Uh, we have um, Jesus begging uh, for an altar. For an alternate plan. He he is asking, can we do this another way? And he knows the cost. And and preceding this, prior to this, Jesus has been talking to his disciples and he's been telling them, the Son of Man is going to be turned over and beaten and crucified. So he knows where he needs to go. And he's not there yet, but he understands what the plan is. It is in God's will. Now he's begging and he's wondering if there's something else we can do, but he's Continually saying, your will, not mine. And ultimately, it's the way God wants it to be. So we're in the garden, and the guards show up to arrest Jesus. And there's a struggle, and an ear comes off, and I imagine there's all kinds of shouting going on, but ultimately, the disciples take off. They leave. Uh, They're gone. So Jesus is over there by himself. I believe at this point, I believe that now they're kind of starting to understand what the cost is. Now, starting to see this is getting kind of dangerous. It's getting maybe reckless, but it's this could cost us our lives. And this is also after the Passover meal, they went to the Mount of Olives and they were talking and uh, the disciples, all the, the 12, all agreed, we will never leave you even if it costs us our life. And they're gone. And I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's a matter of your life. So I'm not going to judge them or anything crazy like that because it's, it's very, very difficult. It's life and death. So where do we go with all this? That's the, that's the example that we have, and looking at that, it, it seems kind of uh, impossible, maybe even a little bit insane, because that's what we have to follow and that's what we have to do. The cost is now increasing by leaps and bounds, you know, we're not anymore running around with Jesus, uh, watching him perform miracles and copying what he's doing because he told us to. Now, it's becoming a serious, serious sacrifice. Can one be a Christian and not be a disciple? Is that even possible? I think Jesus sums it all up. Another way to put that is, can you follow Jesus and ignore the cost? You can't. You can't do either one. It's just impossible. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we're not our own and we're bought at a price. And so Jesus owns us. He owns us. He's our master. Romans 12 tells us that we have to present our bodies as a holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And so how do these concepts get misunderstood? When we are going through the truth of Scripture and we understand that the cost is up to and including and quite likely your life. How do these things get misunderstood? Um, I'm not gonna criticize any other groups tonight. So if the prophets suffered death to their own people they took the word of God, which came directly from his mouth to them, and, and, and they took it to the people. If they suffered death, and just heinous stuff that happened to them, if the apostles suffered death and were martyred, and thousands and thousands and thousands after them, uh what makes us think it'll cost us any less? Yeah. So that is ultimately the way that we need to be thinking, that it's a matter of life and death. It is life if you die. That's what Jesus said. You lose it and you're going to get it. If you want to keep it, you're going to lose it. The death that we suffer is not a death that we're worried about. The physical death is not, not what we suffer. The spiritual death is what we're worried about. That's the one that's going to kill us because forever is a long, 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 long time. So there's two, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those, that who are, that those who are obedient to the Lord and those that are not. Those that are willing to give their lives to the kingdom and those that are not. Only two types. And I believe that if we're really going to profess our love for Christ and if we're really going to um, follow him, the way that he's told us. And I believe that uh, there is no cost that we cannot bear. Uh, Ultimately, the sacrifice that was made for us is the same one that we should expect to make in his name. And so really there is nothing that we can say that uh, there's no way that we can get away from it. If we're called to do that, we need to go that way. But, you know, I want to encourage you. If it sounds kind of gloomy, and it's, and it's real, and I think everybody in here understands that. Uh, it might be gloomy, it might not. I mean, you know, this is the way that we need to live. Uh, if God calls us that way, then we're, we're going, and that's uh, the that's simple fact. We know, we know that uh, the mission field can be dangerous. We know that there's people out there that do not like us. We know that Christians today are dying all over the world in the thousands every year. Um, That's the reality. So we can expect that kind of stuff. If it happens to us, at least we know that this is a sacrifice that we need to make. I want to encourage you, though, because when you feel the pressure, the burden, when you feel the persecution, when you feel all this stuff coming in, you know you got to just hold on, man, because this is part of the life that we have to live. The persecution is automatic in our lives. It's there. Whether it comes from a blood brother or whether it comes from someone in another country trying to shoot you because he hates you because you love Jesus. But That's the life that, that we have to lead because that's the life we chose. We love Jesus and it doesn't really matter. These things all make us grow. And they give us experience and they test our faith. And it's a good thing. So we are living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he lives in us. And so really, we're not entirely acting on our own. In fact, if we give ourselves over to him, we're not acting on our own at all. Jesus is the power that lives within us. I want to also encourage everybody tonight, and, and I see this a lot in this group, that we need to hang on to each other. We have got to learn more and more and more and more to hang on to each other. You know, the restorations that we've seen, uh, the, 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 the things that happen in this group and the way they're handled is beautiful because everybody truly concerns themselves with the other. This is something that you don't, uh, it's, it's not very commonplace. It is not commonplace. It is more common to run somebody off than to fix them. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, what, what, what we've seen mostly, including ourselves. <laughs> you guys leave, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> Go see the bishop. Uh, but you know, there is, um, to restore a brother, I mean, what, it's, it's, it's great, it's just the best. So let's hang on to each other. Let's hang on to Jesus. Let's press on toward glory, man, because ultimately this life is very, very, very short. And, you know, I'm 51, so I'm more than halfway there. You know, you guys got a long way to go, but look at all the time you get to serve Jesus. The best. I remember Nick quoting me one time. You know, he was talking to me about this place last year sometime. And he says... uh, he says why wait? I mean, you get Jesus now, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the power. Why wait? What are you waiting for? Let's you know, let's do it. Daddy, you got to come. Let's go. <laughs> this was great. He was so excited when he when he when he met this group. It was excellent. So, in closing, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is a promise. If we follow and if we hang on to the end, this is exactly where it's going to be. Because greater is He who lives in you than He who lives in the world. Thank you for your time. Cheerio, yeah. Mike. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, y'all love Bosh? <laughs> yeah, we love him too. Love you. I felt like I just had a, a, about an hour with my dad getting some wisdom yeah. oh, really? poured down into me. So, uh, you know, it's an honor that we get to share with each other's lives, lives. and at, like the beginning of worship. Tonight felt like a good family night. And we, we just sat around the table with a family member that shared his heart, shared his life, shared his vision about who he is. And uh, those of you who haven't had a chance to spend significant time with Baj, I encourage you, please do it. Please. You'll benefit from it, but also he will benefit from it from you as well. Yes. And uh, that, that fatherly uh, nature and demeanor that he has will bless your life, will bless your socks off. Amen. So let's stand to our feet.